When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the Tom Bernard Show.com brought to you by Bradshaw and Bryant. Who, me? <laughs> Well, I'd like to know if I was married to a whore piece of shit. <laughs> you could just look at her license. My her special stripe. That was amazing. Oh my gosh. Coming by sweet corn, potatoes, onions, pickles. It's not how you use them, sir. <laughs> it's really sickening that anybody would be into radio this much. It is ungoddamn believable. I think I'm going to hell. I just realized it. Thank you, Tom. You're just delicious. This is why I drink. We're here today with Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant. Michael, what's going on? You know, we keep getting phone calls, and it's interesting because people try to handle a lot of stuff on their own, or they try to talk to the adjusters, or they wait, um, and they think maybe it'll cost them money if they talk to me. And, you know, we tell them it's free to talk to us. Um, I go through what their rights are and, you know, we try to help them as best we can. We don't sign everyone up. Sometimes I just give them advice and they go from there and then call us back later. But the key is, is that they don't know all their rights or they're not told all their rights by the adjuster. And that's one of the things we try to make sure that they get, you know, they get that understanding, uh, so they can help themselves and their families as best they can. And the number is? Is 800-770-7008. Or at the website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Brad, Sean, Bryant, Michael Bryant, thank you. Seeking justice for the injured, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Welcome back, everybody, to yet another episode of the Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. Brought to you by Bradshaw and Bryant. Kicking off the show this week, we had comedian Jimmy Schubert in studio. As cantankerous as always. Next on The Best Of. your eye like a bigger pizza pie that's amore it's amazing national pizza day goes right with dino and we're going to an italian restaurant tonight so there you go we are indeed keeping the theme and getting ready for valentine's day valentine's day on wednesday and ash wednesday right next wednesday's ash wednesday all you catholics yep last friday to eat some meat how early is uh, <laughs> is Easter this year? It's on uh, April Fool's. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's April 1st. Yep. Man. That's like the earliest it can possibly be, isn't it? It yeah. must be. It's up there. Yeah. The first full moon after the the vernal equinox, I think. Ye- oh God, something still... like that. That's the... exactly how it's measured. It's weird. Yeah, it's insane. And the vernal equinox this year is March 20th, so... Yeah, technically it could be on March twentieth. Yeah, actually, yeah, could. but that would be. I think it's been earlier than my birthday, which is also oh, yeah. a national holiday. Yes, no, <laughs> Easter can happen in March. Absolutely, absolutely. See the uh, earliest possible date. Oh, ecclesiastical rules put the equinox on the twenty-first. So the earliest Easter is the twenty-second of March. There yes. you go. And um, the latest is like April seventh. Apparently, I thought it swung like a month almost. 
Oh, here we go. 1818 it happened, and it won't until 2285. So, <laughs> what? The, March, March, March 22nd Easter. Oh, is that right? It but, won't happen again. But um, March 23rd happens much more often. So, huh. so we'll March. probably see another one of those relatively soon. Um, 2035. I'm... I'll, I'll still so, be here. So there you I go. Think. Well, I've got to listen to Catherine. I'll still be here. Yeah, okay. I don't know about you. Laugh it up, pal. <laughs> Former Apprentice contestant and ex House, uh, ex White House staffer Omarosa Manago Newman thanked fans Thursday for tuning in to the season premiere of Celebrity Big Brother. Everybody's watching this. This is the biggest joke in the history of television. I just don't get it. Uh, it's disgusting. I watched a, an episode and I was like, mm, not for me. But people love it. Uh, apparently, uh, Omarosa, she's been uh, eating, sleeping, laughing, and competing. What she didn't mention in her tweet, dishing about the White House, which is what's getting the most attention for her ominous warnings about a seemingly chaotic administration. Oh, you mean the fact that you couldn't get along with anyone? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, per ABC News, in one clip that's been widely circulated, Newman is seen having a tearful chat with fellow contestant Ross Matthews, who might be the most annoying human being on Earth. In which she tells Matthews, I was haunted by tweets every single day. Like, what's he going to tweet next? And by the way, they're well, we whispering this. They're not saying it. They're whispering it. I was haunted by tweets every single day. Well, like, was, you know, you're on national television. Why are you whispering? Make it seem more sinister. What was her actual title? I don't know. Did Lame brain. Because I remember, I, I think I saw an interview where she said she didn't even know what her title was. No. So, that's weird. Uh, Nice to one of his buddies, who apparently is not his buddy anymore. Um, Omarosa, let's see, Wikipedia page probably knows. She was the director of communications for the Office of Public Liaison. So in other words, vice vice president looking out the window. That's what her title was. I want that that job. Chief is staring at the window. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Chief is staring out the window. That's exactly what her... Did you... Jimmy is in studio. How are you doing, Jimmy? Good. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to kind of blow my cover, but I just I'm chomping at the bit here. That you know, I, I love that CNN can do like a 14 hours a day on a guy's tweet. You know, it's the whole news cycle. It's a guy's tweet. I'm going, and you, know, and you, and you guys call yourself a news organization. Right. It's 140 characters. Get over it. And, and you know. I, 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 you know, Trump's sending these things out to send the left over the edge. I mean, he, you know, he's sitting there where he goes, oh, this ought to keep him busy for three days while he gets stuff done because they're too busy talking about his tweets. I think oh, I think he's trying to give Schumer and uh, Pelosi heart attacks is what he's actually trying to do. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly true. I think they're all a bunch of lying scumbags, to tell you the truth. They're all in it for the money, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, they all practice the yeah, politics so, uh, of personal enrichment, you know, for, you know. You know yeah, that's it. Yeah, the, the $1,000 is crumbs to people. I'm gonna put, you, are you that out of touch? You know, just because, you, you know, just because, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, she's very wealthy, that woman, Nancy Pelosi, and she's crazy. I mean, these are the people we got running our country, people like Anthony Weiner. I mean, the guy, you know, the guy, the guy, he was an actual congressman. The guy was sitting there, you know. Holding his kid next to him while he took pictures of himself in the mirror. You know, and this guy makes policy that affects my life. And I wonder, you know, wonder why we're in the problems we are. Exactly. Let me run something by you because I, I did notice a couple of nights ago all the all the hung yucks were together, the senators and the the congressmen, and they were all together and they were all debating policy and blah blah blah. And I thought, why do we allow people in their 80s who are extremely wealthy, like billionaires, because Nancy Pelosi's husband is a billionaire. By the way, she helped uh, she helped the family enrich itself with a, a deal she set up in Guam, which is pretty fascinating. Nothing hinky there. No, nothing hinky there, of course. And I, Man, have you ever seen like I went on Google Maps once and looked at Street View of Guam? Mm-hmm. It's not a nice place. No, I wouldn't say it's all that great, but uh, I wonder why. I don't know. It's basically like it's all military, basically. Yeah, I think it it's is, just yeah. too remote to. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So basically on the Celebrity Big Brother. And what are you going to be on Celebrity Big Brother, uh, Jimmy Schubert? I'm not a fan of reality television. i got to be honest with you. I mean, I did I did Last Comic either. Standing two seasons ago and get up there. And it's just it's just awkward, you know? I mean, like, I do enough social media to keep my promote my dates and stuff. But I, just, I think it's intrusive. I think, you know, people just sit there. I mean, does anybody just do anything anymore? Does everything going to be documented so future generations can look back on our digital archives and go, what a bunch of idiots these people were. They took pictures of their food. <laughs> 
I mean, there's a great use of technology. I mean, it's just, you know, as everybody relaxes, it's just a phone with a camera in it. You know what I mean? People go to concerts. They watch the whole concert through the screen of the TV, of the phone. Why did you even go? You know, I mean, never before True. in the history of the world have so many unlived lives been so well documented. You know, so, you know, it's our, true. It's, it's 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 weird because, you know, people get, you know, they get these phones. They don't realize there's people on the I, I think if you wouldn't say, be able to say something to someone's face, then you shouldn't be able to tweet it at them, you know, because the, the, the people sit in yep. their little cubicle yep. with their keyboard carriage. And it's like, you know, it's not that I don't mind that people have opinions, but today they never stop having opinions about everything. In the old days, you'd go to a bar and you let your opinion be known and someone would either, you know, smack you in the squash and go, all right, your opinion's been noted and found one thing, you know, and then the <laughs> next time you thought about mouthing off, you'd think twice about it. But now you just sit in your cubicle and I gotta say something about this. I gotta weigh in on it. I gotta really let people know how I feel about this. I'm gonna no, you don't. Nobody cares. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I can't stand it when people are just. They have to talk about everything, even if they have no idea what's going on. They just like make up an opinion on the fly and then stick to that. Oh, it's like I, why can't you just not, you know, talk about this one topic? I just had an interesting experience on Twitter. So I I tweeted out that um, uh, the city was doing some. Um, an experiment to see if they would like more like bicycle and walkways and all this kind of stuff. And I said, I personally really like um, the concept because I enjoy walking in the shade in the morning. Thank you for the experiment. That's what I said, right? <laughs> this guy tweets, that's right. Catherine Brandt likes to walk in the shade, so all traffic has to be inconvenienced for her. <laughs> I'm like, uh, who is this guy? A. So I look him up. He's got one follower. And, and well, sure. he, he tweeted he tweeted that there was one follower. So that's two people now that you'd like to walk in the shade. Two people know you'd like to walk in the shade now. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I, mean, you, I, I I didn't know that I was you know the sole person that this was designed for. I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> like to walk in the shade. Certainly I do because I have no pigment. You know the only Me way neither. I stay the only way I stay to get a tan is if I get a melanoma and it all grows together. But hey, you look great. Thanks. You got about six weeks to live. You know I need like an SPF 132. You know like a where you exactly. squeeze the tube and a long sleeve turtleneck pops out and then I can venture into the sun. It's uh, you know exactly. it's hashtag white people problem. Problems, you know what I mean? Yeah. Actually, I think March 23rd, this March 23rd, just a little over a month from now, I will not have gone on Twitter or Facebook in five years. Yeah. I'm glad that you are not on social oh, media. Oh, me too. I'm I, really glad. I don't know if I've him. ever tweeted before. I don't think I have. Well, you I know, know you have I have a Twitter I had, account. I had an experimental one like 10 years ago, but I don't think I ever used it. Oh, I have to. I, I have know, to do it just, for the business. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, I think yeah. it's. I think right, it's. I think right. it's a. I mean, how do people know that artificial intelligence isn't training us to work for it? I mean, you do everything oh, yeah. in front of that cell phone. You, uh, the thing knows about it. They got algorithms. They they're tracking you. It's all yeah, about collecting information yeah. on you. It's databases. It's <laughs> your pictures have metadata, so they know exactly where they were taken. I mean, you check in everywhere you go. You take pictures of everything you eat. You weigh in. People have full blown psychotic meltdowns on Facebook. I mean, that's something that should be reserved for the inside of a therapist's office. And you're just having this <laughs> meltdown. You know, all right, everybody, can everybody relax? You know, some of these things. Not everybody needs to know all this stuff about you, you know? You know, leave a little yeah. something underneath the Christmas tree for uh, Christmas morning, you know what I mean? <laughs> let's, not know, let's not know every single thing that's wrong with you. You got more mood swings than a Count Basie orchestra, and, you know, we're sitting there, and, they get, you know, and, you know, I don't it's just, it's too much now. Uh, and people, just because you have access to it doesn't mean you should be posting 24-7. People have lost jobs because of tweets. People have gotten fired. Yeah. People have, you know, yeah. like, I mean, people have been run out of show business on a tweet. You know, they, I mean, you, you got this whole, you know, the the, the, the Louis C.K. thing. I mean, you know, the, the, they ran that guy out of show business. You know what I mean? And, and apparently you know, they say, you know, he pleasured himself in, in front of a few people. I'm, I'm going, you know, I, you know, the guy just did 5,000 seats, sold out at the Beacon. I mean, you can't be expected by yourself with no audience. You know, maybe, just, you know, maybe he just needed a couple of people. Just guys, just need a little audience. All right, I just did a sold-out show. I can't be expected to perform by myself with not an audience. I'm kidding, of course, uh, but I'm just saying. You know, you can't put everybody in the same category. Certainly, what Bill Cosby did and what Harvey Weinstein did and some of these other folks did no. is not what Louis Louis C.K. did. So, 
You know, there's de- there's true. degrees. No, you know. But at least we know, we can find out sometimes on Twitter how crazy people are, like Anthony Weiner. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I mean, the guy can't can control himself in front of a mirror with a with a camera phone. It's, a, and I don't know why men do that because really, taking pictures of your of your of your private, I mean, it's just going to look like a shaved chicken. You know what I mean? I mean, you you want to do a you want to do a photo shoot with your, with with your schmeckle? I, I you know, hire, hire a professional. You know what I mean? I'd get some hair and makeup people in there, and I'd film it like they filmed Tom Cruise. I would shoot up on it so it looks bigger. I mean, if I was going to do it, you know, that's the way I would do it. But they take these pictures of their junk. They send them out into the interwebs. The NSA intercepts them. I mean, they, they have so many pics down there. They could decoupage with them. Let's put it that way. I mean, it's enough. You're not, you know, people are intercepting this information. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, leave a little something underneath the wrapping paper for Christmas morning. That's all I'm saying. I don't need to know everything about you. I know he's doing what three years, isn't Anthony Weiner doing like what? He's oh, doing about he? three years, isn't he? I have no idea. Because he was sexting with a 15-year-old girl. Yeah. Yeah. That's always a good move. Good major plan. League Creepo. It's a really good plan. Yeah, no, Major League Creepo. He's married. That. People don't realize what had to happen for his marriage to take place because he's a Jew and Umamadine's a Muslim. Do you know what happens to happen? I mean, Bill Clinton mm. had to step in and make some arrangements for this marriage to even happen. And then the yeah, guy starts sure. acting like that. You know, we, they moved to heaven and earth so you could marry Uma Aberdeen. And, they had, you know, and then this guy's carrying on like that. It's like, yeah, get a hold of yourself. <laughs> he did. Which, one of those deals. The other thing I don't understand about about current uh, technology, why anyone would do anything in a drunken stupor, uh, because you're going to be, they're going to make a movie out of it. They yeah. got audio, they got video, they got everything. You look like a total jackass. Well, here's the thing. It's the cell phone itself. It's not. We're not meant to have it. It's alien technology. No. This thing was reverse engineered <laughs> off that spacecraft that crashed in Roswell in 1947. It took us morons 40 years to figure out how to make the microprocessors small enough to fit in the palm of our hand and push millions of pieces of information along these tiny silicone chips that were also reverse engineered off that same space. Aliens use this technology to navigate the galaxy, and we got our grubby little primate fingers on it. What we do? We take pictures of her genitals and send it to each other. Hey, here's mine. Send me yours. Hey, easy, Senator. Easy, Senator. You know what I mean? I mean, come on, everybody, just relax, right? You know. Relax. It could be good. That's a good thing. Well, you know, I, I don't understand. Yeah. I, I don't either. I mean, people think it's like you know, I'm I'm using technology. I'm Facebooking. Facebook. <laughs> I'm Facebooking. I'm using my computer. Yeah, I, I just, I just, yeah. I, at some point, we're gonna have a, you know, a, the next big revolution is a spiritual revolution where we're gonna just resist all this stuff and go back and make a human connection with people, make them some eye contact, have a conversation. I mean, you can't even talk to a 14 year old today unless you're dressed like a cell phone. They won't even look at you. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's pretty much it. And uh, we'll take a quick break here. We'll be back just uh, in a couple of seconds, ladies and gentlemen. Back. Jimmy Schubert is at Rick Bronson's House Comedy tonight. Tomorrow night, two shows and a show on Sunday at seven o'clock as well. Right back, Tom Bernard Show. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. Jimmy Schubert on the best of. Coming up next, we had former SNL star Chris Kattan in studio. Next. Now Suzanne takes your hand and she leads you to the river. She is wearing rags and feathers from Salvation Army counters And the sun pours down like honey on our lady of the heart Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Destroyer Show (laughs) Haring That didn't really fit Haring I love that song so much, I do I absolutely love that song It really is What was the last beautiful song you think that was written? Mmm God. Yep, exactly. 
That might be it. Exactly. That, that might be it. I don't know. Well, no, that's not it. I, Cohen. Oh, uh, well, no, yeah. I, uh, I think there's some other things, but it's been a long time. Why is that? Are we running out of beautiful, beautiful moments for people to experience? Or is it just the pop music? It's the culture, right? I guess. I mean, come on. I think we're all angry at one another, and I don't know why. Is that is that what affects people creating that, or is it the audience doesn't want to hear it? I think the audience wants to hear it, right? Because the, like, the audience, the audience needs it. to hear it right now. The audience needs to hear it. So why isn't that happening? We all want to hide in our no. own little world in our own corner and badmouth the other person. But if somebody wants, but if a creator were to, it's not how you pronounce it, a creator would want to, would actually, creator. creator, would want to actually, you know, create something beautiful, what's stopping them, you know, I mean, it's just to like, cry me a river, beautiful, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it just, maybe it just doesn't sell any longer, so therefore they don't do it. So it's about sell- selling, so you think if somebody like Leonard Cohen sang something today, well, you know what, no, that's not, there is some beautiful music right now. But not quite like that, you know. Not like that. No, that, that was wonderful. Yeah. That was magnificent. Chris Catan is at the New Hope Cinema Grill tonight, ladies and gentlemen, this weekend, as a matter of fact. And he's in studio with us, and we're having... See, I love having conversations like this where you talk about people's past and, mm-hmm. and, and what they've been through and uh, what you've been through. and uh, You can actually learn something. Yeah. I know it's very unusual these days. Yeah. It's a lot of... Uh... It is. Uh, I, I. Well, that's how we become better people, and our lives can be better, and we can improve from lessons. You know, and like Sting's line, history teaches us nothing. And but that's not the truth. It's the sad case of like how we are. We just for some reason don't learn from our past mistakes, um, which is strange. It's weird. We don't want to, or we just we think we can keep getting away with something. That's exactly what's happening in the White House. You know. I like that. Just keep thinking we could just get away with something and it happens again and again. It always ends up not working out because you just can't do it and we just keep doing it again, you know. You think it's the money part of it? You think the money that's, is what drives that's it That's part of it too, yeah. We think we get yeah, away with it because yeah. we need more money to do, keep getting away with things. And then we eventually have to hit a wall and then we're going, whoops. Well, we, we knew it was going to happen anyway because we just, I don't know. It's too bad. Another piece of that is those people who just come into that situation never talk to the people who have been there, who who have experienced that, mm-hmm. and who may be able to tell them, hey, you maybe not want to do that because this will be an outcome. Right. Uh, th- that's the thing, too. It's going to be an outcome. It will be a big transition, and people are afraid of the transition and what could happen because you may not be able to make a lot of money if something changes. Right. That's what there people are afraid is. of. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that, and it's really disgusting. Because of all the effort they put into building or creating their empire, whatever it is, may go away, and they're afraid of what's going to happen if they don't have that. But that's, you know, that's one of the greatest challenges that people or man has to face, or woman has to face, uh, that ends up being where you end up being okay, and something does work out, and you become bigger and better and healthier than ever. But nobody's going to has the balls to really experience that. I think. Somebody just sent me a a, a, a text and asked me, is it true you did an impression of Ilian Gonzalez? I did, yes. (laughs) That's phenomenal. (laughs) Yeah, Ilian coming over (laughs) to Florida on a little tire or was it a, a lifesaver or like a little it was a tube, lifesaver yeah. right. was it, it was yeah I'm a, I was like I'm a Elian Gonzalez I have him here <laughs> to the United States of America <laughs> I am grateful it for just like him. Come, it does I don't remember what it he said just like him actually I would like to have some uh, whatever Prince eats <laughs> <laughs> I sing. You know that <laughs> frosting it's weird now because he's, he's like 25 years old now. I just saw yep. a picture of wow. Vivian Gonzalez. How does he he's sound? He's like 25 now. They didn't let him talk, mm. but I think he says, still sounds like that. Exactly. Even though he's 25, am, he still talks like that. <laughs> I am 87 years old. I've been eating frosting for 62 years. <laughs> And I still sound like this because my lungs are like the princes because he eats frosting too. <laughs> we both said the same. Oh my God. <laughs> How did you, did you come up with that? I mean, just one night you just I decided I'm the two aliens no, a writer. like this? <laughs> a writer did? 
it was a writer's uh, it was a cold opening because it was in the news. So you know how the cold opening right. is for Sunday Night Live. They do with something topical. Right, right. Usually. Now it's like Alec Baldwin doing Trump, and he'll do the cold opening. So at that time, Elyon was in the news, so they had me do Elyon. I usually played the child or something like that. <laughs> yes, yeah. On the show. Um, so I played Elyon <laughs> making a press conference. I think Horatio and I don't know who my mom was. Molly, maybe, Shannon. Or, they're like, okay, speak, Elyon. Don't be afraid. I'm afraid to talk. <laughs> Just speak to the speak to the public. I can't do it yet. I'm telling you, the listener is going to be very, very happy that I that I I read his text because he's like, gotta get him to do Ilion Gonzalez. Somebody talk about nice Leonard Cohen and Ilion tonight. <laughs> yes. Somebody bring it up so you could do both. It'd be one. Yes. Do you remember the the very first impression you ever did? Uh. Actually, the very, very first impression was Rod Serling of Twilight Zone. Uh, remember the host? He was like, you know, you're, you're rendering another dimension, dimension of time. But it wasn't my voice that did it so well. It was that I could put my lip, I tuck my lip under my mouth or my, the lip, <laughs> yeah, I had kind deep. of thick lips. I do have thick lips. And my top lip, I could tuck under so you could see my teeth and his teeth you know, he kind of had, you could see his upper That's lip. That's right. He had a thin yep. upper lip and a fat bottom lip, and he smoked cigarettes. Yep. Uh, and he would ha- have his hands at his stomach, and he'd go, you know, you're ending another dimension. Dimension only sight and sound but a mind. Like that. So I would do that. I think I was like eight, nine years old, and, you know, wherever I was at, adults loved it. Kids didn't know what I was doing. I, I was yeah, much more... I, I mean, I, I, I got along much more. I was one of those kids that got along with adults more than people, kids my age, you know. I, I mean, I was, it had a lot to do with my, influ, uh, my, my, the influence of my mom and dad. Because I, in Mount Bali, there were no other, really other children up there, you know. I was, I was kind of like Mowgli. Oh, yeah. You know, I was hanging oh. out with sucking rocks and talking to <laughs> dogs. Mo- yeah. Like Mowgli, that's good. Yeah. So, um, I, I guess it was good. It was good because I, you know, I, I did have... I did. I talk about this in my book too. That I really think I did speak to some higher power or some voice when I was seven years old because I was really unhappy up there. And I heard a voice that Aww. said, "You know, once you get out of high school, go for go for what you want. You know, and you will be exactly what you want. Just you just stick it out, and um, you know you're going to be okay." And I did exactly what that voice said, and I did it, and it happened. I did exactly what that voice said, and I don't know if it was like. It was God or Jesus. I don't know what it was, honestly. I still don't know. But it's a very deep voice, and I was in a strawberry field in front of the school that where I was at when that happened. And it came from above, and it was a very deep voice. And I heard my heart, and I heard it up up above me too. And uh, I think it's a wonderful story, actually. It really, it really was. I like, it, but if you, you know, when you're a place of misery, and you really, you have every right to be miserable. Um, that you something happens, you know, it just does if you're. Something you'll hear something or something, you know what I mean? Just I know exactly. I don't know where that comes from. It could be your own voice. It could be some something yourself. I don't know what it is, you know. But immediately I was like, I think it's God or something like that at the time. I mean, I don't know what it really was technically. It wasn't anything technical. I don't. Yeah, it was. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> but um, would you consider that that your misery to be? I mean, to the point of traumatic. Was it? Was it that that hard? I was really a dep- kid up there. I was a really depressed kid. I mean, there was a school yeah, up there, Mount yeah. Bali School. But those kids, you know, kids in uh, up in mountains. Uh, it was the same forty kids from kindergarten up to eighth grade. And these were kids that were having sex at age seven, eight already, and Ooh. taking acid at ten. You know, it was not a. It was a scary school. Yeah, it was like that was traumatic. Yeah, it was very know, traumatic. It yeah. was. It was not a good school to be in, and one of those schools where kids, you know, say, "If you tell anybody, I'm going to kill you." You know, that kind of school. Right. You know, right. a lot of knives and look what I stole and this. You know, it's a scary thing um, to be around that, and you learn how to be quiet. And be told to shut up and not say anything for years, and you're just trained to shut up, you know. Really? Be quiet. Don't say anything. And I was like that a lot for a long time. And it carried me out through SNL, just like if somebody did something that was cross, you know, I just was quiet about it. I let them do whatever, you know. For years, I let people walk on me because I was just told to be quiet, you know. It was very inbred in my head. You know. Is this all going to be in your book? Is it all? Yeah, in that's in there too, yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of abuse in my younger years too you know there's yeah some sexual abuse my stepmom and stuff like that you know and then 
you know. There was also some injury stuff. You know, I, I broke my neck too. 20 years ago and I had four surgeries because of that and it came out on Dancing with the Stars and because I told dance I told uh, when I got on the show I told people that I broke my neck so before I get on the show I want them to know that and then the producers didn't tell the judges that information so they were like well we're gonna judge you on a poor dance because you couldn't move your neck for some reason but yet I told them that information and they didn't tell the judges so they voted down on me and then you know that was like Whatever. So that kind of stuff was is out in the book. A lot of there's a lot of stuff that happened. Uh, that, that's not all like I'm a victim kind of stuff. But there's a lot of stuff that experiences. No, 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 not at all. That happened to me. That uh, is a little bit of my. Uh, it's about. It's you know. It's it's uh, it's uh, um, times up kind of stuff for me. You know. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, a lot of people. I want to make it very clear. I'd- a lot of people do have said like, "Hey, what's what happened? You know, you you were on such a ride in your career, and something yeah. did happen." And I was told not to be quiet about it. So now I'm going to talk about it. Really? Yeah. That's phenomenal. I see. I, I tell you what. I, I I you know when you when you've been through because I had a pretty traumatic childhood myself, and you can kind of tell in people. And in no way did you come across as a victim or oh I, I, this is horrible and blah blah blah. But you can kind of just tell that mm-hmm. you had been through a lot of trauma in your life. You can just you can. You t- could. I, I think if you've been through it, you can tell. Yeah, That's you know interesting. I mean? Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know that about myself. I mean, I do know when I watch. Actors or see performances like uh, Marlon Brando or Robert De Niro, I could see they probably uh-huh. went through things because you know I did a lot of serious acting classes before I got into comedy. I wanted to be a real dramatic actor, right. so I learned that you know in order to go there, you had to experience it. Really, I mean the ones that yeah. don't know how to cry probably have never really felt pain. You know, I mean, or you know, there's te- there's like a real performance and there's there's technical performance and there's a real performance. When you see De Niro, like really. Pain, like when you see a performer really look like they're in pain, they probably really felt like that. You yeah, know, there's absolutely. no other way they can, if they're really that good, <laughs> you know, then they obviously have experienced something like that easily. Do you know when your book is coming out? At the end of the year. It's called Baby Don't Hurt Me, as I told you that already. I think. Is, is it going to be like in December that, I mean, that De- late December in the year? December or early January. Yeah, they slated it for that. We're shooting the cover in like two weeks. Right I do now. want to be one of the first people that you, that you talk to about it because I cannot wait to read your book and, Thank and you. hear all about it. Seriously, I, I think it uh, it just uh, on its face seems like it would be a very, very interesting story. Just knowing your history now after yeah. talking to you today Thank uh, you. For, for a couple of hours. It's, it's an interesting story. It's an interesting life. Uh, a lot of... A lot of moving around. I mean, it's just reading the fact that your your father was Jewish from a family in Iraq and Poland. Your mother, a native of Budapest, Hungary, mm. is a Buddhist. Stepfather was a Buddhist therapist and monk. I mean, it's it's a fascinating life story you have. Really, it is. is a different upbringing from other people. Sometimes, you know, it's like my friendship with Will and and stuff. Uh, uh, you know, from grounding to SNL and stuff. He, uh, you know, things did change along the way, and I write about that. But um, during the Roxbury and and uh, but th- like Will would say, you know, <laughs> poor. I felt bad a little bit for Will when we were in interviews, just because people would like, "How'd you grow up?" And like I would say all this stuff that was traumatic, and then Will was like, "Well, yeah. I had a. I grew up in Orange County, and I was fine." <laughs> <laughs> Chris, I cannot wait to talk to you about your book. Go see Chris. He's at uh, New Hope Cinema Grill. Mm-hmm. Chris Catan, phenomenal! I cannot wait to talk to you uh, when the book comes out. Sir. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm looking Thank forward you, to it. Um, hey, it was great talking with you, sir. Great talking to you. I'm serious. I, I always like learning things. I learned a lot today. Well, good. I, really I like. I, I learn more about myself, and that's the lesson I should learn most. So. Thank you for letting me do that. We shall talk again soon. Thank you very much. A ring. A ring. Tom. (laughs) A ring. I got to get the phone. I am the destroyer. (laughs) Let me get the phone. (laughs) A ring. (laughs) We'll talk to you next week. Tom Bernard Show. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. Chris Catan on the best of. Coming up next, closing out the show. We're opening up the old vault. 
all the way back to episode number 400 with Brenda Cantrell. Ever wonder what happens to stuff left at airports? Well, you'll find out next on The Best Of... I can't wait to talk to Brenda about this because I am that guy. I'm the guy that likes to go to thrift stores. I'm the guy that likes to go to junk shops. I would be a picker, I guess, if I really? didn't have anything else to do. I would just travel around the country like those guys in the uh, in the cable television show. And I would, American pickers, right. I would just go sure. around and try to find stuff because I, I really love found objects. Yep, me too. Brenda Cantrell, our special guest. How you doing, Brenda? I'm good. How are y'all today? Hi, yeah. Brenda, we've actually (laughs) spoken before on the KQRS morning show that I do as well. We had you on, uh, I think, about a year ago, somewhere in there. Oh, well, hello again then. Brenda Cantrell, brand ambassador for Unclaimed Baggage Center. When luggage arrives at UBC, it is sorted into piles to be donated, sold at the store, or thrown away. Uh, Brenda Cantrell will bring a suitcase that has not yet been sorted through to unpack for listeners. <laughs> Are you really going to do that? Well, if we were going to do the Skype interview, I was going to be able to do that. But unfortunately, we couldn't get all the details hammered out. But That's I would love fine. to come back and do it another time. Well, we'll absolutely do it another time. How long have you been doing this? Okay. Uh, we've been doing the baggage experience for about a year. Um, so people can kind of get an idea of, I mean, honest to goodness, the things people pack in their suitcases and how we make decisions with what we're going to sell, what we're going to donate, um, what we throw away, what goes into our laundry facility. Do you have to come to Scottsboro to uh, go through the center, or is there an online presence you have? No, we are only a bricks-and-mortar store right now, um, located in Scottsboro, Alabama, in the northeast corner of the state. So. Um, we are actually one of the top tourist attractions in the state of Alabama. <laughs> definitely day trip. It's definitely day trip and road trip worthy. Now, is it true that you have the largest dry cleaning facility in all of Alabama? Yes. We uh, launder about 40,000, close to 50,000 pieces every single month. Wow. Honest to God. A lot of dirty socks. <laughs> now, we got we to gotta hear about some of the good stuff, though. There's got to be good stuff in unclaimed luggage. There's always good stuff. I mean, we get top-end electronics, Nikon cameras, iPads, um, exquisite jewelry. It's you know not uncommon for us to have, for example, a $20,000 diamond ring Whoa. in our showcase. Wedding gowns. I mean, but but then you you think you sit back and you think about what are the average things people travel with as well. I mean, not everybody is going to have a piece of jewelry like that on on the plane, you know, that you're traveling on. So we have a lot of everyday items as well. But when people travel, they pick up souvenirs, and um, you know, we're taking gifts to their loved ones, whatever the case may be. And um, for that less than one percent of bags that never reunite with their owners, we purchase those exclusively through our contracts. After the airlines have spent 90 days trying to reunite those bags with their owners, um, and again, most of those are overwhelmingly successful in those attempts. But but we do purchase them and bring what's left and bring it back to our store. Yeah, I don't think that's ever happened in in, in our family, has it, Catherine? That we've lo- lost a bag for good. Nope, not for well, not oh well. Good. You've lost some. You lost some golf clubs. You lost. No, that wasn't me. That was Jean Gerard. Oh, that was Jean Gerard. Yep, those were gone forever. They were a gift from me. We've lost plenty of bags, but we've actually gotten them back. Exactly, and that's that's what a lot of people may may state that they've lost their bag when it's you know initially just mishandled. In our world, lost is lost. Right. <laughs> so that's what we're, that's what we're in the business of of handling is lost and unclaimed baggage. Now, Brenda, there's lost luggage, and then there's what happened to my friend Gene Gerard. We went uh, on a golf trip to Ireland. And I bought him, at the time I was doing the voiceover for Callaway Golf Clubs. So actually I didn't pay for them. They were given to me because when you do voiceover, you know, commercials for whatever, they they give you some of the product. So I gave Uh him an entire set of golf clubs with, at that time, this particular set of golf clubs was worth about $3,000. Again, Uh I didn't didn't pay for it, but uh, I, I gave them to him. Something like that is not unclaimed luggage. That was stolen on purpose. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree so. 
Yeah, somebody in Ireland. That probably wait around baggage carousels that you know weren't even traveling for the day looking for an opportunity to pick up someone else's treasured item. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, let me say this on St. Patty's Day: typical Irish. <laughs> yeah, that's not fair. <laughs> I like that, Brenda. Oh, that's not fair. You know what? We we want Irish people to shop at our store too, so yes, we're not going to yes. partake in those shenanigans. Are yes. there a lot of Irish people in Alabama? I'm sure there are. Uh, there must I'm be. I would imagine. Asking. I Catherine. mean, I'm, I know we have. I know we have some. Catherine, where's Johnny <laughs> Barr from? State in America. Where's Johnny Barr from? Isn't he from the Northeast Alabama? He's well, He's Who? definitely from Alabama. I know name, that. Johnny Barr, a good friend of mine. He's from from. Uh, okay. All he ever says, Brenda, is "roll tide." That's the only words that ever come out of his mouth. Those are the best two words he could say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, he's into it. Brenda, what do you do with the electronics? Now, uh, I would imagine you get lots and lots of electronics. The noise-canceling headphones, the iPhones, oh, the Blackberries, the laptops, mm-hmm. that you get a lot of these things. Security would suggest that uh, that's a lot of private information. How do you make sure that that information is not um, stolen, made public, uh, tapped into, hacked, what do you do? Well, just to give you some background on how we would receive something like that, um, we also get items that are left behind on the plane. So it would essentially oh, yeah. be like lost and found items if you left your jacket or your iPad, things like that. And through your contract with your ticket purchase, um, that is not co- that, 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 that does not cover the items that you left behind on a plane. It, right. it covers your checked baggage, but not items left on a plane. So when we get those, um, when the airline has the opportunity to try to reunite those items, they do. But again, by law, they're not required to. So when we purchase those items, we have strict procedures that we go through to clear um, and reset back to factory um, settings any type of electronics that we receive. So how, mu- how much did you get for my Kindle? Yeah, I know you've got two Kindles <laughs> from us. We, think. we have Kindle, we have Kindle Paperwhite, we have Kindle Fire, we have Kindle Fire HD. <laughs> what model would you like to talk about? We, I left one on an airplane. What, Catherine? About three years ago. Yep. And then you did last so, year? Well, I don't know whatever happened to mine, so I'm assuming it was left on a plane. Right. Yeah. Right. Brenda, have you ever heard of a company called Upcycle? I believe I have, but refresh my memory. Okay, I'm going to tell you about this because I have a little something to do with this this group. It's an okay. ups- it, it takes electronics, and they pay you um, a, a, a very handsome number for all of the electronics that you have left over that you are no longer using. So if people uh, get a new iPhone and they haven't traded in that or they get another computer, uh, the average person in the United States has 11 unused electronic devices in their house really? that they can get rid of. And this Upcycle is an organization out of Boston. They will send you the boxes and the, and the labels. They will uh, put a price on it and then turn that into charity money for you. So um, your center could be not just uh, a, a point of donation, which is part of your operation, but you could actually uh, donate cash money based on those things that didn't sell that you could uh, send to Upcycle, and Upcycle will pay you cash for it that goes to charity. That is fantastic. Yeah, it's a really interesting new concept for fundraising for anybody. They can just uh, so what set do up. What they do a, with all the used electronics then? What they do with the used electronics is they have uh, 11 centers around the United States that take them apart and save every piece of reusable stuff. Uh, they can also resell in the aftermarket in Europe and Africa many of these things, and they're also wiped clean. They're made uh, factory fresh. Uh, before mm-hmm. they get rid of them. But I was just thinking that with the load of electronics that you get, and I would presume there's a lot of, that you don't sell, that, that just don't move, that that would right. be a way uh, of creating cash flow for your operation, which can go to charity. That is fantastic. I mean, I know I have things that I have, electronics that I have bought here at one point or another, and they're now sitting unused at my house. Sure. <laughs> that I could send to. So that's that's can, great. Yeah, I just go to Google. The next board meeting. You, you can go to just go to Google and look up upcycle one word. Okay. Can you shop online in your store here in our own way? You know, sure. We, call it, we like to call it reclaimed for good. Um, <laughs> for example, well, and, and let me share that with you. I mean, not only would say you know the customer comes in and 
reclaims a new item for the good of their wardrobe or their grandchild or what have you. But we also, through our um, our donations, we're actually working with, we work with the Lions Club International. We work with um, medical mission teams that go out across the globe. Um, we're working with a couple missionaries that are about to set up a classroom in Belize um, with some iPads. And so, you know, it's unfortunately it's unfortunate that someone lost their iPad or their Kindle, for example, but we purposely try to find a good use for them back in the marketplace if we're unable to sell the volume or um, the item here, for example. Catherine, you had a question about online. Oh, yeah, I just was wondering if you're ever going to um, be able to shop online at your store. Well, we did at one point um, a number of years ago, and we're looking to introduce that, reintroduce that this year, later this year. Of course, it would not be the scope of what we have in our physical store. That would just be impossible. We stock nearly right. 7,000 items every single day, um, and many are snatched up at the point of, you know, coming in onto our retail floor. But yeah. we are looking to um, take some of those neat and unique items and, and desirable, other desirable items, you know, electronics are very popular, um, and and sell them in the, the online marketplace. I know somebody on this podcast that's been looking for a pair of noise canceling headphones, most oh. preferably so noise canceling headphones. How much do you sell them for? Do you know ballpark? Well, there's because they're the three hundred bucks. The QC3s, <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of different models. Yeah, but anything in our store. It's typically 20 to 80% off suggested retail. Nice. Now, Brenda. There's good deals. There's great deals, and there's fantastic deals. I want to set a story for you, and then just follow along if you would, okay? Okay. So there's this, this young woman named Brenda, a properly southern-raised young lady <laughs> from Alabama, who opens up a suitcase, looks in and goes, I'm not touching that. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything like that? That happens, and we throw a lot of things away because of that. <laughs> yeah, I knew it had to go somewhere. So you just talk. You know what? And the story can stop right there. Yeah, yes, yes I understand. The story will stop, stop right there, no question. But I was thinking about that. Do you open the luggage yourself, or do other people do that? We have a department that does that. We employ um, over 130 people in our organization, and we have obviously the retail side of it that you would come in and, and shop. Um, and then we also have the back end where the laundry takes place, where the sorting takes place, research for pricing, warehousing, and things like that. And we actually have a team of, of openers that go through and sort those items out for us. You must have a ton of luggage to sell. You would be surprised. Um, you know, a lot of people, when they travel, handles break, wheels break, um Zippers break, things like that, and that's the condition we receive a good bit of our luggage in. Oh, okay. And so we only sell, you know, the best of the best, which really limits, from a luggage standpoint, what we have available to sell on our retail floor. But on the back end, um, those are items that can still be used in some capacity or another. And so we work with testing companies and um, security companies and things like that to put those back into uh you know, to the marketplace, for their marketplace, if you will, for testing purposes. Magnificent. Do you ever reunite people with items? That is not technically what we are in business for, but we have had one documented case of a gentleman who came in and bought back his wife's ski boots, unbeknownst to him at the time. Um, That's the only documented case that we have. He he came in. He'd never been to the store before. He saw these great pair of size. I believe it was seven ski boots. For $45, and he bought them and took them back to his home in Georgia. And she said, these look really familiar. And she looked at the phone <laughs> the and there was her maiden name. Oh, God. He had received reimbursement, you know, from the airlines for um, her loss of items. And then she went on to use those, I think, for like the next seven or eight years. That's hilarious. So it's, it's a fun story. You know, we sometimes hear other stories, but that's the only confirmed one that we've ever had across our plates. Brenda, you're a terrific interview. We have to have you back again. Well, please do, and let's let's do this this Skype thing. We'll get... uh, that would be fun to unpack the bag with you on on Skype. <laughs> and say, I'm not touching that. <laughs> <laughs> Brenda, thank you, dear. Thank you so much. Y'all have a great day. You too, Brenda Cantrell, brand ambassador for Unclaimed Baggage Center. Yeah, it's really funny because I did not recognize the name. But as soon as I heard her speak, I said, oh, I've talked to Brenda before.
She's just the sweetest woman. Just yeah, They've got a 40,000 square foot store. It's unbelievable. A million items a year. That's it's Holy a good Christ. I was always wondering where all that stuff went. I had no idea. They do an exhaustive 90-day search for their owners. On every item, 90-day search, exhaustive, they say. Uh, then they sell the items at discounted prices, and it's 40,000-square-foot retail stores, Catherine said. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, we do have to get her on Skype because we see what's... Well, let's open up this suitcase. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. She gets a little. She fell through the cracks a little bit. Part of it's my fault. And uh, Janet left the country, and we just didn't get this organized in time. So. Was she deported? No, she was not. Well, I just thought she's, I'd uh, she's traveling for Rudy Maxa. Ah, Rudy messing up the show. What a yeah, shock. Yeah, the poor thing's in Paris working for Rudy. Oh, so. that's too bad. We won't feel too bad for her. They have oh, some really interesting things uh, you would uh, not imagine. Uh, in their unclaimed freight area, yeah. uh, I was reading that they have uh, the original uh, from one of the movies that the Muppets did, the original uh, character, like a Hobbit character, um, that they tried to put back, uh, repatriate with the person who owned it. And uh, it sits in the corner. You could own that for a cool $10,000 or whatever it is. But wow. um, they've got... Um, Ancient, uh, ancient Chinese uh, silk paintings that people uh, lost Jeez. and uh, could not find the original owner. So I mean, they have some really, really good stuff. You well, know, it's when, kind of astonishing that like that diamond ring and stuff. Twenty I mean, grand. You've got how many days? Ninety days to clean. Ninety it? days. Yep. <clears throat> you would think that you would notice in ninety days that you're missing. A really expensive. Well, ring. not you, but most. Well, people. yeah, because I've got so many. I just oh, throw them out the window when sure, I'm driving. Absolutely. Usually. Do you know what she said to me? Yeah. Honestly, this is not a rip on the store either. But Christmas time rolls around this year, <laughs> and she's unwrapping her gift for me, and she said, "Did you get it at Kmart like usual?" That's oh, what she really? says to me. It was it, it was funny at the time. You laughed. Oh, you've decided. Now you made me sound like a big bitch. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that. No, that's not true at all. Appreciate it all the time. Grease up the light poles, because this episode just won the big one. I'm the best of the Tom Bernard podcast, brought to you by Bradshaw and Bryant. Great clips this week. Um, Jimmy Schubert, Chris Catan, and Brenda Cantrell. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will see you next week.